Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we talk about popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm going to make a huge announcement right here on this very podcast on behalf of Disney. The Santa Claus 4, Santa Forever, is on the way. Tim Allen will be returning for this multiverse extravaganza. <laughs> That's right. Kurt Russell and Austin Pendleton of Christmas with the Cranks, mind you, are coming back as their respective Santas. Mel Gibson and Billy Bob Thornton are also making cameos. This is still a kid's film, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) I mean him, Alex. And I'm the star baker in my tent. (laughs) (laughs) No. Alex, can you confirm the existence of multiple Tim Allens in the Santaverse? Yes. Uh, because we will have Santa Tim Allen and also Christmas with the Craigs Tim Allen. Look, Good look, question. Tyler, we've got we've to hold back some surprises for when the film comes out, okay? okay. Uh, actually, uh, uh, I have a question. Uh, Britain Movie Times. Um, yeah. Will, will, can you confirm or deny the rumors that good movie Santas will be appearing in the film, such as Ed Asner or uh, uh, maybe the ghost of Edmund Gwynn? Moving on. <laughs> um, Spoken like a true movie official. We we sure are getting into the holiday spirit. Uh, we are not talking about a holiday movie this, this week. We are talking about uh, the Great Muppet Caper. Great Muppet yes, Caper. Sir. Great Muppet Caper. Muppet. So is, it tip- is there, is there a, a thing here where... <laughs> The classic movies, generally, they, it's just Muppet, but then, like, the reboots. Because the reboots are the Muppets, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is Muppets Take Manhattan. Okay. Yeah. Well. Here and in the previous film, and in many of the Muppet is, is used in the singular as more of a descriptor, a sure. qualifier. Concept. This is the type of caper. Mm-hmm. But when the Muppets are referred to as directly taking action, as though taking Manhattan or being most wanted, it is a plural form. <laughs> okay. I see. Mm-hmm. So the Great Muppet Caper, directed by Jim Henson from Yay. 1981, has a 76% critic score in Rotten Tomatoes and a 78% audience score. You know, I looked I looked at the uh, critic score and I was like, oh, there's only like 21 reviews. That's not really fair. Eh, I, I don't know. Because most of the new movies that come out, they have, like, hundreds of yeah. reviews. And then yeah, I remembered, yeah. oh, yeah, doesn't A View to a Kill have, like, no reviews? Never mind. <laughs> Tyler, what's your best thing and your worst thing about The Great Muppet Caper? Sure. Um, <clears throat> um, I'm going to start with my, my worst thing, because I, I did... I was not uh, as filled with joy after this one as I was after the last one. I didn't dislike it, um, but it was a little more like, okay, this is... This is a little more standard. My worst thing was the fact that the Muppets, they're not really playing different characters, but they're all supposed to be acting. Um, Right. And that really threw me off because I guess going into it, I was really hoping for like, oh, you know, the great Muppet caper. Like somehow the Muppets are going to get involved in a wacky scheme with the Hollywood celebrity while they're while they're producing their show. And then, you know, that's going to be a whole thing. Um, but really it's, they're making a movie again and they're all kind of playing themselves, but themselves playing different characters. And sometimes they go out of character. And so a lot of that made it hard for me to, cause I really wanted to just like have a good time with the Muppets and just hang out with the Muppets. And obviously they have very similar personalities when they're in actor mode or whatever, but, 
Um, yeah. I, I was a little annoyed by the fact that it wasn't a plot just about like the Muppets getting into shenanigans that it was like the Muppets right. constructing this plot. And because of that, I found I had a harder time getting into like the overall narrative and what was going on. Um, but on the flip side of that, uh, I do, uh, think my best thing was all the, uh, fourth wall behind the scenes stuff there. There's a ton of really funny jokes and, and really good stuff about them breaking out. Um, specifically there's a scene where uh kermit and miss piggy like break character to have an argument about like how kermit is is producing and directing and like that's that's Mm -hmm. really great there's a lot of really fun stuff like that um and so i did really enjoy that it was still very tug-in-cheek and and there was a lot of uh irreverent humor i guess about how they're making the movie and the big the big opening is about how they're going to be in a movie and uh, yeah. there, there is a lot of really fun stuff like that. Um, it was just, the, it was very disjointed for me because there were like moments like that that I was like, oh, that was great. And then it would kind of go back to something a little more basic. So, um, and I right. think this one, well, never mind. That's a completely different thing. I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. That's my best and worst thing. This has been Tyler. Well, I, I completely, I, I see what you mean. I, I agree. Like I found, I think all the meta jokes Largely, I thought they were all really funny, but at times it got kind of confusing as like, mm. okay, because in, in in the Muppet movie, the fact that they are watching their own origin movie is like a framing device yes. more than anything else. It doesn't really – and in this, it's like they're making a movie, but they're also in the movie, but we're the movie. It, it all seemed a little – like the meta jokes were also trying to create a reality that was a little mm-hmm. confusing at times. Um yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, so I have some backstory on this movie that I can do after our best and worst to kind of set the stage for the rest of the discussion. Uh, but I'll just do my best and worst right now. <clears throat> I'm going to say my worst thing, and this is not a... I'm not going to have a strong worst thing for this movie. Sure. I'm going to say it's that I don't think the music is as good as the previous yeah. movie. <laughs> uh, Joe Raposo, who wrote for Sesame Street, and I think he did the Muppet Show as well. Uh, wrote the songs. The songs are still good. I think there are some great numbers, some great like production yeah. numbers that are really impressive. But I don't. It it's not a score that I walked that I I left the movie being like, man, I gotta, I really want to listen to these songs just like driving to work or something. Like, oh, I just really love the the tunes. Whereas the Muppet movie, right. I was like, I just love these as songs. I think they're so gorgeous and perfect. And the music in this is good, but it didn't it didn't hit quite the level of of the previous movie. Uh, my best thing is going to be that I think even I, I think Muppet Movie is better. I think I laughed more during this hmm. one, or maybe it's just that I found it more quotably funny. Um, I, I just found it so so funny. We're, there are obviously a lot of jokes that we can crack into as we go through the the episode, but one one of them that I really enjoyed is when they're in the supper club. There's just like a shot of Fozzie dumping sugar into his uh, champagne and stirring it up, and he turns to these people behind him who aren't paying attention. He goes. You know, if you put enough sugar in this, it tastes just like ginger ale. <laughs> like, I thought that was so funny. And, like, right down to when they're on the airplane and they're all in their little cages and Gonzo's like, guys, I'm trying to watch the movie. Like, somehow he got a TV in his. It's just, it is it is still incredibly silly and joyous and wacky. It, it doesn't have the same type of sweet. It's not cynical, but it doesn't have the emotional heft of the Muppet movie. Yeah. Um, but I still found it extremely funny if not moving in the way that this one in future movies will be or the previous one in future movies will be i, f- I feel like it was so very funny though alex 
Um, I, I think I've, I'm mostly agreeing with y'all on, on, on the points you're making. Um, I think overall the humor is still very, very strong, and that's probably my best thing. Um, because I don't want to just make it Diana Rigg. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the movie. No shade still... if you did though. The movie is just as funny as the last one. Like it's still the the, the snarky quips and and all just the the stuff that could easily be missed if you're just watching it super casually. But if you want to be very active in in paying attention, like there's so much stuff mm-hmm. to catch. Just just little bits of dialogue here and there. Um, going along with that scene, Britain, I was I was thinking about when uh, Gonzo's taking the picture of the guy who's out on a date with. A, a woman that's not his wife mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. gets revealed mm-hmm. over several lines of dialogue that that was all great yeah um i i feel like the the movie still has you know once again to your point Brendan, it's not cynical but it has kind of those cynical edged or tinged yeah. jokes that i i think really work particularly for any adults that are watching and, and once again this this works very well as like oh kids kids can get a lot out of this and they'll enjoy it but it's not like adults are just going to be bored yep. like they'll still find this enjoyable as well yeah um so yeah that, that's probably my best thing um my worst thing is kind of a mix of multiple things while i was watching it it felt like i either needed more plot or less plot <laughs> yeah mm because the the first one barely has a plot. Like, it's very yeah. bare bones. It's just, like, get us to, to funny set pieces. Whereas this one actually tries to have more of a story, but it doesn't commit to it. I feel like the, the story itself is just not fully formed, and it's it, it's it, it feels very rough. Um, which I know is weird saying about a Muppet movie, but I'm comparing it to the last one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it just feels like... I don't know. I I feel like the the fact that it's about like it's supposed to be like a mystery of diamonds getting stolen and whatnot. I feel like there's a lot you could do there in terms of of having fun twists and turns, and the movie really doesn't do a whole lot with that. Yeah. Which I'm not saying it has to, but if you're trying to actively insert more plot into a Muppet movie, commit to it. Yeah. D- do it. <laughs> um, and I was thinking, you know, just hearing hearing you guys talk about it. I wish the movie was about them making a movie. Mm. Like, don't just have, like, fourth wall-breaking jokes. Have it be almost what we're seeing at the end of the last movie, where it's it's actually them at a production studio, and mm-hmm. they got the soundstage all set up in there. Like, have it be, like, like the Muppets are literally shooting a movie, and just, like, wild hijinks ensue. Right. Like, ha- have that. Um, but, yeah, I... I <clears throat> You know, it it didn't significantly uh, dampen kind of my enjoyment of the film. I still liked it, I, not as much as the first one, but I still still quite enjoyed it. Um, one other thing I'll say, along with my worst thing, I don't like plot points. Oftentimes, where it's just like, oh, somebody is pretending to be someone else, and it's just a matter of miscommunication, and sure. people are too dumb to figure it out. And I I just don't like that. I know it's supposed to be goofy and silly because it's the Muppets. But I, I don't like that as a plot point. I often, oftentimes, I find that very, very annoying, and I just want it to end. So I'm glad that that only lasted for like a scene or two. But I, I yeah, not not a fan of that. But um, yeah, I I, I like the movie. Okay, we do also yeah. get the joke from that of um, Miss Piggy being like, guess the street name, and Kermit being like, Highbrow yeah. Street. I don't know. And she's like, yep, <laughs> that's right. And then there is a highbrow street. That she ends up going to. Um, yes, we're John Cleese. Yes, we're in a we're, very funny cameo. That is uh, an excellent cameo. 
Um, any particular big things we want to <clears throat> jump into first? Yeah, so it's like I said, the, the, this movie came at an interesting point in Henson's career, and it overlaps with some other movies where obviously the Muppet movie was a, a huge success, and this was as he, they were wrapping up the Muppet show. And he was, obviously he loved the Muppets, but he was like, I really want to be known for other things. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just be the Muppet guy. And so he had been working with Brian Froud on this thing called The Crystal that would later become The Dark Crystal. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I really want to do this, create a fantasy world from scratch with all these puppets and all. I really want to do this. But um, Lord Lou Grade, who was like a big fan of Jim Henson's and was like one of their main producers and financiers financiers um really really wanted to keep the momentum and make a muppet sequel and so david laser uh henson's like producing partner was like hey i think I, I, I think we can do this if you can commit to doing a muppet sequel maybe we can get grade to like fund both movies hmm. right which is what happened so uh i think grade ended up like giving 14 million for Muppets take Man Muppet Caper and then thirteen million for Dark Crystal, which would mm -hmm. later increase, I think, to twenty five million. Um and the, if Henson would direct and, and they would shoot them back to back. And so that was great. But at this but also simultaneously uh, the, he got kind of the idea for Fraggle Rock somewhere. But there was another movie in pre production called The Empire Strikes Back. And years uh, previous, when they were shooting the first Star Wars movie they were actually working on it across the street from Elstree in London, which is where they shot The Muppet Show. Hmm. Yep. And so Jim Henson and George Lucas got to know each other. And Lucas was like, oh, you know, we, we're really alike in a lot of ways. They were both very independent, very get very obsessive about our work, but we're not really like – we, we don't – we're kind of camera shy. We don't want to be – in the public eye a whole lot. We, we, George we, we was also the inspiration thing. for Kermit, as we all know. <laughs> Clearly, yes. Um, I, I may have gone <clears throat> a bit far in a few places. <laughs> and so he, he was like, well, we, we have this character we want to create for Empire, and I, I want to get the best puppeteers on it. And so he got Jim Henson to help co-design Yoda, right. and he wanted Henson to... Um, performed the character but henson was like i'm way too busy i can't do it let me get frank oz right and he apparently like showed frank oz a sketch and oz was like and it just felt right and there you go there's yoda mm -hmm. <laughs> like this amazing thing and but apparently that also paid off that yoda ended up being like a dry run for the type of puppetry they wanted to do for dark crystal because yoda was a very heavy puppet he was made out of this like non-pliable rubber mm. yeah that was just really heavy and and art and like just difficult to uh, control. And so they're like, oh, okay. Because a lot of the Muppets are made out of like foam and lightweight stuff, so they're just easier. Um, but all this to say, it was a really interesting thing where th this movie gave Henson a little bit of direct... like, And he had directed short films and stuff, like a feature directing thing before he would go into making Dark Crystal, which yeah. is a massively impressive, if a little sluggish, movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, 80s kids, but let's all <laughs> face it. Beautiful, beautiful movie. A little sluggish. Um, and I I think that th this movie had... Not a troubled production, but I know the... Like, Henson had this idea for, like... I want it to be, like, a tribute to early musicals. 
and I want Kermit to be like a reporter turned detective. But he he wasn't really he was having a hard time like specifying his ideas to Jack, Jerry Jewell and another writer, and so then they were like, uh, how about this thing? And he was like, no, not quite. <laughs> so then he got two more writers. So I think some of that might yeah. have led to the confusion in the not in the tone of the movie, but just in the like structure. You kind of have various pieces, yeah, structure just kind of floating around. Um, one of the things, one of the running gags that I liked a lot is that Fozzie and Kermit are twin brothers. Mm-hmm. But you you can't tell that unless Fozzie puts his hat on. Yeah. Yeah, specifically. Which I think is a brilliant joke. That, yeah, that opening uh, with the, like, grouchy news news uh, editor yeah, guy. Chuck Warden. Um, <clears throat> is brilliant because we see the newspaper that's, like, identical twins hired. And then we find out that the guy's really mad because they completely miss, like, a big story. Um, and they're like, well, we thought it would be cool. You know, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? And so then he's like, you guys yeah. look, look nothing alike. And then Fozzie puts his hat on and he's like, okay, I see it, but still this isn't yeah. a good story. <laughs> like the fact <laughs> that he does come back around is, is a great way to play that. Yeah. Um, where I feel like it, and- it would have been fine to just stop the joke at we're identical. Yeah. And he's like, what, what are you talking about? Or just like not address yeah. it. But then they, they really play something off that. So. And, and they're not even the same type of hat yeah. that Kermit and Fozzie yeah. are wearing. But then they have a picture of the newspaper man with their dad, who's just like Fozzie with like a green, he's like a green Fozzie with like the Kermit frills. It's terrifying. <laughs> oh, I think it's so funny. And that like throughout the movie, Fozzie will get them mixed up when they're in the mm-hmm. airplane. He's like, well, I know it's cold, Kermit, but you've got fur. No, Fozzie, that's you. <laughs> Wait, really? And he turns on the light and he's like, oh, yeah, that is me. Yeah. I always get us mixed up. <laughs> Which, what did you guys? Which one think am I about? in the mirror? You're, you're the one on the left. Oh. <laughs> How did you guys feel about this being a musical compared to the first one? In terms of this, to me, feels more like a big, like a production number musical. Yeah. And the previous one is a musical, but they're a little smaller scale. How did you guys feel about that sort of change? I. For me, I felt like that's kind of where we lost some of the the heart of the music, is yeah. that it is... I agree. It, it's hard, I think, to make a musical that's supposed to be like a callback to big musicals and not have that feel smaller, um, because yeah. you're not like yeah. making something you know, kind of creatively on its own. Like It's supposed to be kind of a, a tied thing to that, so that there's a lot of moments, I think, where they're doing things that are like, Okay, this is this is big and neat. Okay, this is cool. Yeah. And I think, like you mentioned, the production is really what sells it a lot of the time. It's a lot of really cool yeah. puppetry that we'll have to get into because I have no idea how they did some of the stuff that they did in the movie. Um, yeah. And I felt like that shined through, and that was more memorable to me than really any of the music. Yeah. I think it, it was a little bit frustrating seeing just how much effort went into all the musical numbers because mm-hmm. you know the songs are fine but i i didn't i i did not remember a single one yeah. um yeah the one i, I think the, is the at opening, least in the, the first hey one like there's several and i know like the first one i had seen multiple times as a child sure. and but i still think the first one like between you know um now, I'm, of course, I'm blanking on it right as I'm like, oh, these songs are so much more memorable. Yeah. Uh, like Rainbow, Rainbow Connection, Connection and then um, yeah. Moving Right Along. Mm-hmm. Like, just a couple – just just songs that are in, like, the first ten minutes of the movie. Yeah. Um, I, I found much more impactful than a lot of the songs in this. Um, and 
it almost felt like because I, I remember us complaining a little bit about the the uh, Miss Piggy song in the last one. It kind of feels like that energy is just kind of what they wanted to use for every song in this one. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think that these songs work really well visually, but I don't, I'm not going to like listen yeah. to them yeah. as much. You know? I, I, think, I think the opening number, I remember that tune, the Hey, a movie starring everybody mm-hmm. and me. I thought that was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really incredible seeing. Like, the scale of this movie is crazy. I had not remembered that there are some nerve-wracking car stunts in this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Like, cars on the streets of London just peeling around each other within inches and driving up onto the sidewalk and going so close. And I know they're all stunt performers. It's all safe. But I, it's I was also a so lot. nervous. <laughs> sure, exactly. But I was watching it, and I was like, this is... I was getting stressed during some of the scenes. I was like... Jim, it's <laughs> you don't need to. They're just the Muppets. You're you're endangering the, the like, and I I know that whenever you saw the the bus from the Happiness Hotel at night, like they could totally that was just like a person driving that on the street, and they could just have them like hanging the puppets out the windows. But I was still like, I don't think I trust Doctor Teeth and all these people to be driving this bus in the middle of the London street at night. Just beautiful. Uh, Tyler, what were some of the you mentioned the puppetry? The the what? Are, give me an example of that. Yeah, the the, the big one, which almost feels like the centerpiece of the movie, is the bike scene. Um, yeah, where you you've got uh, Kermit and Miss Piggy, and they're riding on a bike somehow, just like just going. They're just they're just yeah. doing it, <laughs> and as puppets. Yeah, and then like eventually we get the whole crowd kind of swings in there. Um, and again, I don't. Re- it was the closest I think any of the songs after the opening really came to like making an impact on me. I still don't really remember it very yeah, well. Um, I agree. But uh, yeah, that, that entire moment, cause that was also, I think the closest the movie got to the same feeling the first one had in terms mm-hmm. of this kind of wistfulness mm-hmm. and very like a lot of those songs yeah. are very somber and, and quiet and full of dreams. And uh, sure. this, that, that kind of struck the same chord. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I'm assuming you have, uh, information on how this is done. Uh, otherwise, what are we paying you for? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's about time I start earning my keep around here. Um, being housed I... in the internet, uh, by our podcast. This, this podcast is keeping me in Funko Pops. I need to, <laughs> I need to pull my own weight. But I, uh, I, I believe how it was done... Brian Henson, Jim's son, kind of masterminded it and kind of figured it out. But I think that obviously a lot of the close-ups mm-hmm. are probably just them. And then you know, they have a little like half bike under the camera yep. so then they can still fully perform Kermit. But you'll notice some of them, the wider shots where you see them pedaling, the mouths move a little more slowly, a little more rigidly. Those are, I believe, radio-controlled. Oh, wow. And that like they hooked them up and... There is some marionette work right. happening, but a lot of it is radio controlled, and they've. I think in some cases they even have some of the bikes connected by like rods, mm-hmm. so that they kind of keep them like in that big crowd shot at the end, because they're when they're all connected. Because that that crowd shot, like you mentioned, it's Kermit and Piggy, but Fozzie and Gonzo and the Electric Mayhem and Doc and all these people. But then there are real human bikers, not bikers, but like people riding bikes, right? Um, also in that scene so you're like well this this isn't like a wide shot of like a miniature or something where they yeah. have these little 
you know, stick puppets. Like, no, that there are people, you know, right next to them riding their bikes. So, like, I think it was largely with the radio and everything. Because um, the other big one is, of course, the underwater segment uh, that Miss Piggy does mm-hmm. where she's there. She's being puppeteered underwater. <laughs> and uh, there are some pieces of that you can clearly tell when she jumps off the top. It's it's a person in a suit. Um, but apparently what they did was, you know, they had to completely rebuild the puppet out of new materials because the foam would soak up all the water like a sponge and all the color would come off. And so they had to make a new waterproof version, but apparently whenever, and then like Frank Oz was, um, like weighted down by like asphalt blocks Hmm. and was down there with a scuba, a scuba diver who would give him a big old hit of oxygen and then Oz would just perform for as long as he could before he needed air again, essentially. Um, and I think that because of the, the new materials, if he did any kind of exaggerated motion, the mouth would tear. Oh, good. So, like, every time that happened, they just built a ton of Miss Piggy heads. So they had to keep putting new heads on the puppet, like, every couple of takes, if not every take, almost. I mean, it took, like, a week, I think, to shoot that that uh, that segment. And... Again, it's like visually, it's so impressive because you also have all these human synchronized swimmers and mm-hmm. performers and everything. It's really beautiful. Um, it's just, again, Jim, <laughs> Jim Henson's idea of simple is not <laughs> what the rest <laughs> of us think of as simple. Uh, yeah. I did notice in one shot uh, during that sequence that they did reverse the footage when she's mm-hmm. popping out of the water with the sparklers. It's like, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it's a tiny little detail, but when the, the uh, swimmers, the way they were moving, the water was yeah. very quickly right. moving in reverse. And I was like, I'm not watching Tenet. I'm watching Great <laughs> Muppet Caper. Come and on you, And, Tenet, and Tenet, does, Tenet doesn't have the excuse of, it's a puppet. <laughs> what did you want us to do? And it, it really took you that long to figure it out, which is the crazy part. Um, <laughs> no, Tenet had the excuse of, this is the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I did find a fun fact because uh, for some reason I have an eye for this kind of thing. The exterior of the uh, the mansion that they're at at the end is Wayne Manor in uh, the '89 Batman movie. No and way! And it's shown up in like a bunch of different stuff. Sure. Um, Wait for the for the Mallory Gallery. Yeah. Huh. But uh, yeah, I, I thought that was interesting, and I. I, wow. I don't know how I'm able to notice that stuff. Maybe I've just seen Batman 89 too many times, but yeah. <laughs> I thought your fun fact was going to be, Kermit and Fozzie aren't actually brothers. Got 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 a hot one off the IMDb goofs page over here. <laughs> oh, what a plot hole. <laughs> how did you guys like our, our climactic showdown at the Mallory Gallery between the Muppets and uh, Nicky and his, his crew? I'm not sure that any of it ever elevated beyond the fact that I was very tickled by the the MacGuffin being called the baseball diamond. Um, yeah. yeah, I think <laughs> that's, that's great. I don't know the entire that finale. Aside from them getting in, um, the yeah. whole bit where they go back and forth with the security guard about his name being on the the slip, and then they're like, yeah. "Actually, we lost the slip. Uh, this is not the right one. Sorry." <laughs> He's like, you said my name was on it. Um, and they use that to help the rest of them sneak in. That's pretty great. Um, but the actual confrontation, which I guess we should talk about the villain and the actual plot of the movie, um, I found to be a little bit 
uh, I don't know. Lame? Yeah, it was just, there, there was a lot of throwing stuff around. Um, Miss Piggy the, driving her motorcycle through through this giant window. Mm-hmm. I, I thought all of that was really hysterical. Pretty yeah, and, and it's tough to, to stage a scene like that when you have humans versus waist-high puppets. Correct, yes. Like, that becomes a difficult, like, way to... How, how do you film that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yes, our villain, who... Uh, Nikki, played by Charles Grodin, brother to Diana Rigg, who hilariously doesn't have a British accent. <laughs> um, but it's probably good, because his mouth is already so full of all the scenery he's chewing. Sure. Which I mean lovingly. I think Charles Grodin is really funny in this movie, because everything he does is so over-the-top. When she's like, I feel like there are thieves breathing down my neck. And he goes, there aren't thieves breathing down your neck. And, like, his whole, like, lust for Miss Piggy, like, everything he does is so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I, I did appreciate um, uh, when Miss Piggy's getting uh, arrested because she's been framed by him for, for stealing the jewels. She's like, you, that, that wasn't even your voice. You were being dubbed. <laughs> Talking about the singing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And they're like, why are you doing this? Why? Because I'm a villain. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Um, and, and we've mentioned her a few times. Diana Rigg, uh, previous much-celebrated performer from Game of Thrones. Uh, how, did you, how did you guys like her in this? I thought she was, like, it, it's very weird how many just, like, little character tweaks or, or, or you know, little little bits of her performance i was just like that's lady elena like (laughs) like, if you told me that she was reading the script for game of thrones she's like you know i can really pull from my great muppet (laughs) caper performance for this like the way she's insulting all those girls and their dresses Mm -hmm. at the beginning i'm like this is lady elena talking to the sand snakes like it's just straight up that (laughs) well in a way i think lady elena sees all of westeros as her puppets that's (laughs) true it's a very that's a deep reading um i yeah i do love when she's talking to the models and she's just like making random adjustments she just snips off part of a woman's hair and she just like throws ink on someone's Mm -hmm. dress to make it better or something uh so i i i really i want to make the complaint that she's not in enough of the movie but at the same time i respect that these movies are first and foremost about the muppets yeah because yes. I immediately think of the Transformers movies where it's like, those aren't actually Transformers movies. They are focused on like this this small group of human characters and the Transformers are just kind of set dressing. Whereas yeah. this, I, I feel like it's like, no, no, no. You're here to see the Muppets. We're going to give you the Muppets. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword there. But I, I thought she was great. <laughs> As per yeah, always. I, it, it's, a, it's an interesting thing because obviously – in the week after next, we'll be talking about a movie that is very human focused and the Muppets are certainly a big part of it, but that I think executes that a lot more effectively. It's also Um, the fourth Muppet movie. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. As opposed to, (laughs) Oh, this is the first Transformers movie. Well, we're spending a lot of time with Shia LaBeouf. (laughs) Well, I think that, um, Diana Rigg gives us a great introduction to what it means to act with the Muppets. Mm -hmm. And I think she's so good at it. Part of it is, even though her char- like her character is very ironic and she has a whole thing, she explains so much exposition and Piggy goes, what are you doing? And she goes, it's plot exposition. It has to go somewhere. Yeah. 
<laughs> like her character's very tongue in cheek. Her performance isn't like she looks them up. It's in the eye for one of a phrase and like is totally in it. She's totally connected and totally like performing with them, which like that's that's the key. When you see all the different guest stars on Sesame Street and the Muppet Show, the best ones are the ones who are willing to completely commit to performing with them and taking them seriously as scene partners, which that Diana Rigg does and which uh, uh, future human guest stars will do to right. brilliant effect. And uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it was just so nice to be like it, – it, it, I think it actually does help you like get into the movie more when you're like, oh, these are scene partners. These aren't – it's not like I'm doing a bunch of shtick with a puppet. Blah, 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 blah. Like it's 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 two characters in a movie interacting with each other. Like that's mm-hmm. that's very impressive. And I think that a lot of that comes from the design and the writing, but obviously a good chunk of that comes from the the, the human actor's willingness to like yeah commit to it, which she did. Because this movie doesn't have the amount of cameos as the as the previous one, um, no. though it does have John Cleese in a delightful one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Yeah, I was going to go ahead and talk about the John Cleese one if uh, we were there, because that was uh, maybe the highlight of the movie for me. Um, Mm. I think John Cleese has been in the news for, like, saying silly old man things recently. We'll we'll ignore those. It's fine. He's a a crusty old man. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. He can have bad opinions. Um, It's okay. He was in (laughs) Die Another Day. That's the worst mistake of all. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Um, (laughs) But no, he, uh, he is very funny in this, because... He is, he's talking to, I, I was looking her up and I don't think I'd seen her or anything, but it's, uh, oh, I forgot the actress's name, um, who's, who's playing I did the same, I also forgot. Uh, his, I guess, wife, mm-hmm. something like that, um, uh, who I think was, or I, I found was a, just like general British character actress, uh, who'd been in a lot of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and they're, they're very funny. They have a back and forth where they're having, or they're just talking about how, like very normal British things about how like the weather's bad and such and yeah. such. And, uh, John Cleese at one point, uh, here's Miss Piggy climbing up the side of the building and he's like, there's a, there's a pig climbing up the house over there. <laughs> and uh, they just continue on with the conversation and then she stops and she's like, did you say there was a pig climbing the house? And he's like, yes. Uh, so he's gone now. Uh, and then <laughs> like this, it's just very, it's a very good British stereotype. Uh, type performance yes. where uh, it's just playing off of how like kind of uh, passive and non-confrontational he is because then um, <laughs> the whole point, the whole reason we're there is because Miss Piggy is trying to pass this off because it is like 17 Highbrow Street or whatever is trying to right. pass this off as her um, house and so when Kermit gets here he's like oh I want to see your fancy house and she's like oh okay and she shows him inside and says John Cleese is a servant and he's following them around and then he tracks them down in the closet and he opens it and she's like, can you recommend me a good restaurant? <laughs> and then he says something and he's like, well, it's more of a supper club, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like... and then at the end of this, this whole sequence, uh, the, the woman comes back and she's like, was that just a pig and a frog? And he's like, yeah, uh, they, they asked for a supper club, uh, or they asked for a restaurant. So I recommended them so-and-so, but then I told them it was a supper club and she's like, oh yeah, it is. That's okay. It's not your mistake. <laughs> he's like, quite right. <laughs> and then, <laughs> it's, it's just obviously I'm like butchering the, the actual the way it plays out in the movie but it's it's very very funny um, because it, especially watching John Cleese walk around with like a, a fire poker uh, as he's like crouching down looking around as uh, Miss Piggy yeah. and Kermit crawl around his floor and, and try and hide behind things <laughs> um, 
No, it's great. It's a very good little cameo. Yeah. It's it's so funny because as they're cutting back and forth between their conversation and Piggy climbing, I was really like listening to what they were saying. They are having the craziest conversation. Mm-hmm. John Cleese and this woman, it, she she starts by saying something like, oh, the weather's been dreadful mm-hmm. recently. And he's like, hmm? Oh, has it? Oh, yes, yes, indeed. And then eventually she's like, are you bored? And he's like, no, I'm not bored at all. Well, how do I know you're not bored? And he's like, well, if I were bored, I'd go buy, I'd go and buy something. <laughs> well, what would you buy if you were bored? If I were bored, I'd go and buy some cheese. He's just, yeah. just naming these random things. That he and then at one point she says something about like, I haven't been outside in years. <laughs> and he goes, well, that's good. The weather's been terrible. Yeah. It's, it's, it is an insane conversation such that I'm like, they probably just sat him down and went, yeah, you guys just yeah. talk. <laughs> just do whatever. It's very good. <laughs> the other cameo that I, I really enjoy is, uh, oh, okay, there's two, and the second one is a much sweeter and sadder one, so I'll do that second, obviously. But the first one is Peter Falk, mm-hmm. uh, the grandpa from Princess Bride, shows up as like a... a I don't know, just a guy mm-hmm. who sits on a bench next I, to Kermit. I believe he's he, officially credited so as funny. Tramp. <laughs> I think so. I think you're right. And he gives this whole thing like, yeah, I know your story. I see you holding that slipper. I know your whole story. And then he tells him a completely incorrect, <laughs> like, you and your brother Bernie own a business, and you're going to get the insurance. And this whole long thing, and then Kermit goes, no, not a single thing you said is true. What are you doing? He's like, oh. And there's a pause, and Kermit goes, hey, we're, look, we're trying to film a movie here. <laughs> Which is so great to me that that's not a part of the movie that this guy just wandered on during the quote-unquote shooting of the movie and started talking to Kermit. I think that is such and, a great like way to end that scene. Well, I was going to say, then at the very end of it is him being like, oh, you want to buy a watch? <laughs> like, all exactly. His jacket, and he's got all these... It's like, oh, what? God. Um, the other cameo is actually right before that. So Kermit is sitting on this bench in the park, sadly lamenting that Lady Holiday is not Lady Holiday. She's actually Miss Piggy, who might be a jewel thief. And the uh, a man and his daughter walk by, and the daughter says, Dad, look, it's a, it's a bear. And he goes, no, Christine, that's a frog. Bears wear hats. <laughs> Which is great. It's a great joke. So that the man is Jerry Nelson, who's one of the main Muppet performers. He's Floyd and uh, Shylock Hemlock and Harry Monster on Sesame Street. He's New Zealand. Uh, he, I think he's Sweetums. Like he's one, he's Robin uh, Kermit's nephew. Mm. Like he's he's like maybe third in line after Jim Henson and Frank Oz. Like Jerry Nelson is a huge Muppeteer, and that is his real daughter Christine. And Christine, that was just like a little bit of fun that Henson was like, oh, this will be a fun little cameo. Jerry and Christine get to come on. Because Christine had been – she had cystic fibrosis mm. and was very ill for much of her life and would actually pass away the following September oh, wow. um, from complications due to cystic fibrosis. And, of course, they did not know this was the case, but they – you know, this is a bit of fun for her to be in the movie, yeah. and it's a great little little joke. And apparently um, a few years before then, Henson Associates uh, insurance company – contacted Henson to be like, hey, we're not going to pay for Christine's medical expenses anymore. I, I don't know why, but, you know, I, they weren't going to. And so Henson was like, just immediately switched companies so that the Nelsons wouldn't have to worry about it, so they would continue. that would continue to be taken care of in full. Mm-hmm. 
And Jerry Nelson, like, I don't think Henson ever, like, made a big announcement. He just, like, did it. And so when Jerry Nelson found out, he, like, came to him and was, like, just so overcome with emotion for, for him doing this. And Henson was like, that's what insurance companies are for. Uh, because Jim Henson was great, <laughs> is, the, is, is the, the moral of that story. That it's, this, it's a very funny cameo, but it's also, like, I say it's sweet. It is a little sad, but it's mostly very sweet that, that that's in the movie and the kind of the circumstances around it. Right. I think are really lovely. And, and, and especially to think that, so, so when I was watching last night, knowing that, that context, I was like, oh gosh, you know, it's, I'm a little, I mean, I'm very moved, but of course I'm a little sad. And then here comes Peter Falk for this like wonderful, bizarre <laughs> thing. Oh, I think it's so good. Um, I also, uh, really, really love as they, continue to build the mythos that Gonzo is into chickens. Mm-hmm. Because in the opening, when there's like, oh, we need a we need a good story. There's like a jewel robbery happening, and then Gonzo's trying to get a picture of a chicken. <laughs> and he keeps going like, here you go, hey, chicky babe. Kermit, I got a great picture of this chicken. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Well, actually, what did you guys think of the opening credits? I think this movie does something really fun with those. What, what did y'all think? Yeah, it's good. I like it a lot because they're they're pointing out the credits floating by and and asking yeah. who who that is. I think they make a joke about Jim Henson. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, yeah. They say like, does anybody even read these? And Kermit's like, well, some of them have families. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is is fun. And they're and then they're talking about like, just wait till you see the end credits. It's gonna be way better than this. Like, and then in the end, it's them all floating through the air. Yeah, yeah. Kermit, what yeah, does like... A S C stand for? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and, and Gonzo spending the whole time being like, "How long do you think you could plummet before you blacked out?" <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know, Gonzo. I kind of want to try it. No, Gonzo, please don't. <laughs> oh, it sounds really fun. I like and that so gag when... at the end when they're all parachuting where he's like, his parachute isn't working, so he just kind of <laughs> is just falling very quickly. And then it yeah. cuts later, and he's like just kind of like rising. Yeah. And everybody else is kind of just falling. It doesn't make any sense, but it's great. Nope. Gonzo defies logic. <laughs> but then like when, they th- when the guy throws them out of the, uh, the plane and their little cages at the beginning, <laughs> and they're like screaming, and Gonzo goes, whoopee! <laughs> I think it's so good. And then uh, Kermit says Britain twice, so that was cool. Sure. <laughs> he says Great Britain twice, and I was like, I'm in the movie! <laughs> Usually Tyler has to watch Fight Club to hear himself in a movie. Yeah, that's the only movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Alex has to watch Alex Cross, only the Tyler Perry version. <laughs> and he's like, they'll all be in a house of pain when I'm done. <laughs> I was going to say, like, the the other option would be Alex Ryder Operation Stormbreaker, which is yeah probably a horse movie. I don't actually know. I have watched that movie at some oh, point. Man. I did not. I think uh, he gets, like, a Game Boy that's, like, a James <laughs> Bond gadget. It's very topical. It's very, <laughs> it's very, I don't even know, what, what was that, 2000... Uh, like six, oh, man. yeah. Like it's that. it's yeah, right early. there. It's it's in it. <laughs> like, oh wow, with Corey in the house on it, fantastic. <laughs> and then the movie is just him playing Corey in the house. Um, exactly. Uh, 
what else have we not talked about? I think we've talked about the whole movie, guys. I think there there's nothing else whatsoever for us to that's it. We did it again. <laughs> no, um Uh, I was going to say... The, ha- the Happiness Hotel is very bad. It's a bad hotel. But I oh, uh, yeah, I was actually going to mention that. Um, I think it's delightful. I think that, that a lot of the stuff that they do yeah. in the Happiness Hotel is very fun. Um, yeah, I, I just really enjoy... Is this... This is not the first appearance of Rizzo, is it? Was he on the show? You know, I'm not sure. Okay. I know it's his first movie appearance. Right. I don't know when he first, like, appeared. I'm not sure. But yeah, he's in there. Good, um, good catch. And it's fun. They're they're all they're all just hanging out. Uh, at one point, at, there, there's the whole crazy sequence, like you were talking about, Burton, where they're riding around in the taxi, um, yeah. and he's Beauregard. he uh, he's just going crazy, and he ends up smashing into the lobby, um, and that's great. Uh, and then I can only take you as far as the first floor. Yeah. Uh, and and so they get out, and then he's like, "How do you, how do you recommend I get out of here?" And Kermit's like, "Oh, maybe make a U-turn," and then he just drives straight <laughs> through the kitchen. And uh, the Swedish chef comes out, and he's got uh, the steering wheel in a pot. And I think someone makes a joke about steering wheel souffle. souffle. It's very good. It's like it's like draped with pasta. Yes. Yeah. Um, but there's just a lot of fun fun bits uh, like that. I like that the lights constantly keep falling. <laughs> like there are like mm-hmm. twenty light bulbs that smash over the course of the movie. Yeah, with the Murphy bed. Um, and then when uh, Fon- Fonzo Fozzie is trying to convince Kermit to uh, let him go on the date, quote unquote, with Miss Piggy, um, when Kermit eventually says yes, he's like, "Guys, he said we can come." And then everybody who's there <laughs> is like, "Yeah," <laughs> get on the bus. Um, it's fun. It's got uh, atmosphere. That was one of Definitely. the moments where I just like flat out was was belly laughing. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so funny. I I really love um, when they're doing the, before the heist and they're alternating Nikki and his crew. Like, all right, harpoon gun, uh, motion sensor, grappling hook, and they cut to them up. It's like rubber chicken. Uh, fake newspaper, and they don't have anything that frisbee. They need. Oh, we lost that <laughs> jar of peanut butter. Animal ate it, but New <laughs> Zealand brought the paper towels, which he mentions twice. I really like that New Zealand is a bizarre Muppet whose sole gimmick is that he throws boomerang fish. Okay, his whole thing is I throw the fish away and it comes right back to me. And in this, he had paper towels. And I don't know why he at no point threw a fish, but that's okay. Well, I guess he had a fish as a, ba- as a bat during the baseball diamond. Uh, oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. There at the end. Yeah. Fascinating. And uh, an oft-quoted joke in my house growing up was, we're going to get them red-handed. What color are their hands now? I think that's a great joke. Good old Beauregard. <laughs> and I love that Beauregard is like, I've lived in London. Or, you know, yeah, you just got to get to know the place. Well, how long have you lived here? All my life. And he has no idea where anything yeah. is, and he doesn't have a British accent. <laughs> Beauregard is silly and delightful. I believe performed by Dave Goles, who plays Gonzo. There you go. Um, I do like the fact that they they uh, are processing photographs in the bathroom, um, and people yeah. are trying to get in, uh, which uh, obviously, as, as you do in any movie, um, re- results in one of the photographs getting ruined. Um, yeah. I wonder if the percentage of scenes set in a dark room 
uh, in movies and television, like professionally produced movies and television, what Mm. what percentage of them result in somebody opens a light in (laughs) one of the photographs that's very important gets destroyed? I feel like it's more than 50. I feel like the Uh, the ratio points towards the photographs getting ruined other than, or rather than them getting uh, successfully created. Um, Yes. Yeah, it's very like Chekhov's dark room. Yes. Uh, <laughs> correct, but I, I thought it was interesting because in this one they actually see on the photograph first. They're like, "Oh, uh, Nikki or whoever is, is our villain. He's the guy who stole the diamonds because we can see him grabbing them in this picture." Um, but then they don't have him, or they don't, or they the door opens and the photographs get destroyed, and so then you've got the situation where they all know that it's him. Um. Right. Which is an interesting position to put the characters in, but they don't really do anything with that, other than yeah. like Gonzo happens to be doing something completely yeah. unrelated, and he catches he he hears a conversation. Um, like I kept expecting for that to be the point where things would really ramp up, and they'd be doing some sort of detective work or whatever to to, to catch him. Um, but really, it's just like, yeah, Gonzo overhears that they're going to try and steal the diamond. And so they all go and stop him from stealing the diamond. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's fine, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really do anything except now they know Piggy's not a bad guy. Right. <laughs> like that's kind of it. I did enjoy when Piggy is in jail and Kermit comes to see her. She has some really great lines where she's like, you know, it's I've, I've been here for so long or whatever and Kermit's like, We've only been here for forty five minutes and she goes, Time moves slow in the cooler. <laughs> <laughs> And then later she makes some, I don't know, she kind of laughs for no reason. And she goes, when you're in, when you're in stir, you got to take the laughter you can get him, Rosenthal. <laughs> like, it's just so, oh, man. <laughs> so, like, committed to it. And then she gets out of jail by <laughs> prying the bars apart and then just hanging on to the back of a laundry truck. With another, I think it's a, another cameo. Um, I was trying yeah, to figure out what the um, guy had been. With, with, with Oscar the Grouch? No, before that, the guy that gets thrown into the trash with Oscar the Grouch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Peter Ustinov. He yes. was. He actually was on the Muppet Show. Um, I mean, he was an actor. He played Poirot a few times. He actually has two Oscars. He was in Spartacus. No. Um, I don't know in a movie called Top Copy. I don't know what his like. I guess Spartacus would be his claim to fame. Um, yeah, because I don't really know. I only know. I mostly know him because. He was on Lumpet Show at one sure. point, <laughs> but I do I do like that when he's like when he sees Oscar he goes what are you doing here and Oscar goes making a very brief cameo <laughs> and he goes me too. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite good because it's because he uh, he and Miss Piggy get into an argument because uh, he's like no I've got a the company time or whatever I can't I can't take you to this this yeah. place I I got to get there there's no way you can get across town in time and then she throws him out of the truck. Um, because she like suddenly gains superpowers at the end of the movie, which is pretty fun. Um, yeah, I mean it is established that she is a karate master. True, it's very true. <laughs> Alex, I know that you are a real like fashion guy. Oh, and you're yeah. always keeping up with like the Met and everything that's going on. If there's Paris. one thing I'm known for, yes, yes. Uh, what? How would you rate the the fashion of the holiday? 
line uh, in this film. We see a lot. We see a fashion show, a lot of different sort of swimwear and formal wear, and all these different things. Give us your expert uh, opinion, please. You know, I've been I've been giving this some thought because I knew you would ask this specific mm-hmm. question. Absolutely, I know musicals. Tyler does machines, <laughs> and uh, what does that even mean? Pro- <laughs> Prime is cool. Prime is cool, but rude. Sure. And you're all about uh, uh, fashion. I like that you mentioned uh, friend of the podcast Alex Prime and not uh, actual occasional podcast host Joseph. Oh right, <laughs> who actually might have been better for the you for know, the Raphael Ninja Turtle comparison <laughs> I was making. You know, it's sad. The, the first thing I thought of was just I don't think we've seen a movie that actually has like a runway set up like that. Since the second Jurassic World movie, when they're auctioning off all the dinosaurs. <laughs> oh man, I haven't seen so that movie, that'll be my answer. To. Not enough dinosaurs. Not enough dinosaurs. <laughs> well, if if I can weigh in on my yeah. amateur opinion here, I I would like to point out that please I don't think any of the clothing would be suitable to wear during the holidays. I I so that's upsetting to me. Um, it's just none of it's. <laughs> that's true. It's just not. It's not. <laughs> It's, you know, all right, it all right, like fine. They, they needed more Santa hats. <laughs> oh, I was going to say more. Not, not a, more Santa dinosaurs is what. <laughs> oh yeah, not a sprig of holly in sight. That, yeah, uh, that's I, part I, of the plot to Santa Claus Four. I know I'm, I'm giving you some details, but Tim Allen's Santa Claus turns into a dinosaur. <laughs> sure. And there's a fashion show. And there's a fashion um, show. <laughs> that's right. It's Mary Kate Nashley's Santa movie. Um. I got a little sad the other day because I realized that if we did like an analogous Ninja Turtles thing, Tyler would be Donatello and then I couldn't be Donatello. So that 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 brought me down a little I bit. I don't have strong opinions about the Ninja Turtles, I gotta say. I you, have only had strong opinions about the Ninja Turtles. You could have claimed Donatello without without letting any of us know. Yeah, but you do the tech and have glasses. <laughs> That I don't know. True. T- Tyler Tyler could be a Leonardo. I think in many ways he does host. He does like announce the podcast. That's but true. Alex, I I, Alex, I, I I get angry like Raphael, but I'm not I'm not nearly as cool as Raphael, and I'm not mm. as goofy as Michelangelo. But I do like pizza like Michelangelo. Likes. <laughs> so I'm I'm caught I'm I'm caught between two characters here, and and similarly. Joseph hates pizza, but is very cool. <laughs> I think Joseph as Raphael is is a pretty definitive. That makes sense. Situation there. <laughs> I think he's the one who would do the one cuss in the PG-rated movie. <laughs> can we uh, can we reset this conversation, but instead have it? Oh. Oh, this, this might be a first. We have lost Britain, folks. Oh, boy. We'll Crashing get the back. podcast. <laughs> I don't, we have been using Skype for... I'm, I'm on the fence as to whether I will keep this in. We've been using Skype for, I think... It's been a while now. And I don't know, I don't know that we've actually had anybody drop uh, during Probably the podcast. It's been like a year and a half, right? Yeah, that's a good... That's a good uh, ratio. Jeez. I'm proud of us. Yeah, we did all right. Um, you know, I literally just like hit the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, my, my, 
Amazing. Like I was moving, I moved my foot and it pulled the earphones out of the jack. And so then I was like, oh no. I've decided I'm keeping okay. it. In. I paused. Um, yeah. It, I paused my recording and then picked it back. Total, up, total so. transparency. Um, Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, can we, can we uh, reset that Ninja Turtle conversation, but instead have the conversation if we are talking about the historical figures that they, their names come from? Mm. Uh, okay. So let's run down what we know about them. Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci, invented a bunch of flying stuff and made the Mona Lisa. Michelangelo made the Sistine Chapel. Donatello. Italian. (laughs) Raphael. Also probably Italian. (laughs) (laughs) And George Lucas is Master Splinter. Correct. My son, I made another funny. <laughs> All right, I think. Uh, I, I think if we've got nothing else, I think we should go ahead and do grades. Clearly, we've got uh, tons there of are, we do have, which... I'll tell you what we do have, Alex. We have more than three theatrically released Ninja Turtles movies. That's true, but also saying. some of them are really, really, really bad. That's a good point. We should just do Alien and Predator again. Yes. Yes, we should. <laughs> Tyler Let me would catch love up. that. <laughs> as long as we're only picking franchises that are consistently good the entire way through. I'm just I, Look, look. I, I, I'm just scared of Ninja Turtles 3. That's, that's my only point of apprehension, okay? I'm scared of Ninja oh, Turtles 3. Alex. Oh, Alex. Oh, Alex. <laughs> what, are y'all, what, what grades are we doing for Great Muppet Caper? Speaking of things I loved as a child and an adult. I'll go first. I, I feel like I I might sound a little bit harsh on this one. I'm going to give it just a flat B. Um, it, it is a step down from the first film, I think, it, but but it's still a good time. It's just, um, I don't know. I, once again, I feel like they, they either needed to commit to more plot or just go with less plot like the last one and just go completely crazy with just like we're just doing goofy set pieces we don't really need a whole lot to string this together um but yeah i I think that there's still a lot of really really fun elements and it's still you know it does the the most important job which is be funny the movie's funny yeah so b yeah i I think i'm gonna agree with you there i'm gonna do b as well um i would say it would if i did anything else it would be b plus but i think i'll go with b just because I think the, like we talked about, kind of the music's a little bit of a step down, and um, there is a lot of cool stuff in the movie. It's just, it's quite just disjointed. Um, and I think if it had, if it just kind of lined up a little bit more, it could be um, a movie that I really, really, really enjoy. Uh, it's just the fact that there's a lot of, like, stiltedness, I guess, in terms of the way the movie plays out. Uh, I'm going to go A minus. I this movie I, I I find it super super funny. It's still the Muppets sure. to me, and it I watched it a ton as a kid and still enjoy it now. But I it, it doesn't have the same type of magic as the first one. And I think the first one is very funny, has great music, great heart. It just has everything. And this movie is so is really funny. And s- big points for it being as funny as it is, but it doesn't have the other things that the Muppet movie and future movies will have that I, I think make like a perfect Muppet vehicle. Though I think it's a very, very good Muppet vehicle uh, for me. 
All right. Yeah, we did it. <clears throat> Do y'all have any uh, in, any recommendations as we jump into our our final segment here? I I got one that's kind of off the wall, I guess. Do it. Okay. Um, it, what what HBO miniseries did you watch an episode of? The way back. Uh, it's 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 not <laughs> technically a miniseries, but it felt like one in many ways. Um, so I watched the first two Austin Powers movies. <laughs> I have not gotten to the third one. Um, I had them on my list, um, but uh, apparently they're leaving HBO Max soon. So uh, I was like, gotcha. "Oh, okay, I'll I'll go ahead. I got to get in there. I'll give it a whirl." <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I find them funny enough. Um, obviously, there there are huge like James Bond parodies, and obviously, I'm going to get a, like a big kick out of that. And there's there's a lot of really really fun jokes at the expense of those movies, particularly the really bad ones. Sure. Um, but I, I kind of found it frustrating because the second one in particular, it felt like half of it was just repeating jokes from the first film, hmm. which. If they're doing, like, a meta thing where it's, like, oh, every James Bond movie, they're like, they're all the exact same. They just repeat plot beats and, and things like that. And, and like, it's the gadgets and, like, all the tropes are the same. But it doesn't really seem to be, like, self-aware about it. It just seems kind of lazy. Um, but hmm. I still enjoy it. Um, there's a lot of really just really neat cameos and stuff. Like, Will Ferrell shows up hmm. in both of them as a, this terrible assassin. <laughs> um, uh Elizabeth Hurley's really good in the first one, and then Heather Graham's really good in the second one. Um, Mike Myers is playing, like, multiple roles, and it's really funny. Um, obviously, there's, like, iconic stuff like Mini-Me, uh, who who's, steals the show in the second one. I, it is interesting because I, I found Dr. Evil and the villains when they were just, like, doing goofy things. I found that a lot more entertaining than the actual Austin Powers stuff, which... I don't know. I almost wanted like a Doctor Evil centered movie. Sure. Um, maybe, maybe that's just because I need like more. I I need a better version of Spectre and Blofeld, and I think Doctor Evil might be that sure. for me <laughs> at this point. Um, but I, there's a lot of downsides to those movies as well. Like there's a lot of gross out humor that I don't think really works. Um, but but I, I don't know. They were they were a good enough time. I'm I'm glad I, I watched them. I, I, I had seen the first two kind of a long time ago and I, I may have seen the third one, so it'll be interesting to see that. Um Seth Green's in it, uh, as Doctor Evil's son, and that is hilarious. Um but yeah, I, I watched the first two Austin Powers. Britain Tyler, so hard. give better recommendations, please. Well, no, the, the reason I just want to say the reason I laugh so hard is be, only because you couched it as kind of a no, miniseries, exactly or not exactly. Uh, we produced a lot of good quotes for the DVD box uh, over the years. Um, <laughs> technically, not a miniseries. That's up there. <laughs> Can't oh. qualify for I- Emmys, says IndieWire. Oh, one one thing I did want to say. Both movies attempt to give Austin Powers a character arc. Okay. Which is more than I can say for most James Bond movies. Uh, that is accurate. Having seen all the James Bond movies, <laughs> can confirm. Yeah. I just thought that was Elizabeth. interesting. I wanted to point that out because they're supposed to be goofy parody Early. movies. And it felt like they were working harder on character beats than the actual thing that they were parodying. I love Elizabeth Hurley. Tyler? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've got a recommendation and a story time. If you want to, I don't know how long your recommendation is going to be. If oh you knock it my out. god! Ooh. Okay, I can hop in. <clears throat> so I um, am going to make a recommendation that's a little controversial. Ooh, I'm going to recommend a Christmas rom com, a Christmas movie from last year. It's called Last Christmas. I was really hoping this you were going to say, I just watched both Austin Powers movies as well. <laughs> Austin Powers movie. Controversial! <laughs> uh, now, Last Christmas, many people might remember as being, it, it is the movie starring Amelia Clark and Henry hmm. Golding, um, that based on the Wham! song, co- uh, kind of conceived of and co-written by Emma Thompson. And it's a, it was a movie that a lot of people dragged because of the twist reveal, which a lot of people felt was, was silly. And, and didn't really work. I will, of course, not give that reveal because, you know, I don't want to... Enjoy it however you want. I will say I think that this movie is a victim of mismarketing. That it tried to pull it off as like, it's a rom-com based on a pop song, Christmas. And people went in expecting one thing and got something very different. And it is very, very funny. And it is kind of romantic, but it's much more about a woman's relationship with herself. Mm-hmm. And like kind of trying to come to terms with things about her and her past and her present and, and her future in a way, which is like a Christmas carol. <laughs> and it's it's a movie that I think if you, like, I think it really helps to get like a vibe check before, like, go ahead. I would recommend just finding out the twist reveal. I think the movie works better if you know hmm. that going in and if you understand that, Yes, this movie is funny. Yes, it's a Christmas movie. But it's not like a Christmas rom-com as we think of them. Because at first I thought, oh, people are dragging this because we're in a, in a place where rom-coms get dragged for being rom-coms, yeah. which I think is a bit silly. And Christmas movies get dragged for being Christmas movies and stuff like that. And um, I, I, I don't I, – I think even if you don't like the movie, it, it helps if you can go in understanding what the movie is trying to do. And then you can like – judge it on its own terms and not compared to the, the misleading marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason I'm recommending it is I think it's really funny and I think it's, it's, you know, well shot and, and just really well done. Uh, but I, I think the real selling point for me is I think it's Amelia Clark's best performance. Hands down. She is incredible hmm. in it. We, we talked about how, you know, she's really, she's good on Game of Thrones, but like, Mostly, all she gets to do in that show is be be imperious, yell sometimes, be serious. Like she doesn't get to, she doesn't get a lot of different types of emotions yeah. to play. It seems, and this movie really gives her the full gamut. She gets to be so funny. It's such a thorough performance comedically. Like there's so many little like takes and deliveries and looks and gestures. It's also very felt, very present, very. Uh, dimensional, like it is really tremendous work from from an actor who I hope continues to get a lot of great opportunities because this to me proves like she can do so much more than Daenerys and uh, <laughs> Terminator Genesis. Um, like I thought she was just marvelous in it, and Emma Thompson's really great. Obviously, Michelle Yeoh is in it; she's always hmm. great. Um, Sue Perkins from Great British Bake Off has a cameo. Uh, Amelia Clark does a musical number, so you know I'm happy. Um, and Henry Golding is really good, and I would just like to use my platform to say, hey, uh, Hollywood or whoever, why not Henry Golding for James Bond? Because he's too busy playing Snake Eyes in the new G.I. Joe movie. 
See, I think that's a pedigree. I think he's a great-looking guy. He's British. He can do comedy, so we can get a quippy Bond again. He's very charming. He looks great in a suit. He can do action, theoretically. And he did an interview about the time Transformers and G.I. Joe was in a comic at the same time. Who doesn't want a James Bond who talks about there that? There you go. Um, but really, I was like, watching Daniel the movie... Don't hear about it's, that. This is, I think, the <laughs> realization you. of the, the, the true inner self of James Bond, which is to be a, a 90s cartoon. I think I think people we we haven't. Yeah, it's called James there. Bond Junior. Tyler, they did it. But I'm saying I don't think the James Bond franchise has not ascended to that state. It's still it's still stuck in its '60s ways and and trying to be serious and trying to be good. Yeah. Uh, when really it should be, <laughs> which clearly are not things here. it's capable of doing. <laughs> yeah, well, and. and this came to me because he does a little like Sean Connery kind of goof in Last Christmas, and I was like, <laughs> Henry Golding would be a really good James yeah, Bond. So, uh, executives, if you're listening, Henry Golding mm-hmm. for James Bond, 2021. Um, Kathleen and, Kennedy, uh, yeah. So, Cat uh, and BB uh, Broccoli, the writers of Ant Man of the Wasp, whoever. <laughs> they just go straight to the reboot. They don't even release No Time to Die. Uh, franchise franchise Helmer Akiva Goldsman if you could just uh, get Henry Goldman on the horn let's get Kurtzman Uh, and Orsi on that while we're at it too yeah Yeah, let's do it (laughs) Uh, but yeah I I found uh, Last Christmas is on HBO Max I think it's uh, it's it's more somber elements I think are, are very well done but I think it's a lot of fun it's just a good holiday time with a really brilliant central performance uh, from Emilia Clark. So last Christmas, I gave it my heart. There you go. <laughs> All right, Tyler, take um, us home. Give us a, give us a record of story yeah, time. So as, as has been established in the Here Come the Sequels uh, lore, um, I, I do have a child now um, mm. who has made several attempts and perhaps has made successful attempts tonight. We'll find out. Uh, to uh, also make his voice heard on the podcast. Um, and because of this, uh, or oh, I'll, I'll say this first, uh, I've also recently acquired, it's actually, uh, to, to add to the, the canon here, it is um, Joseph's uh, previous Nintendo Switch, um, which I had purchased from him mm. because he was not feeling it. And I was like, I want to I wanna play me some games. And so I now have this... Uh, and so I was like, well, this will be great because then I can use this to uh, watch some stuff because it's a bigger screen than, you know, my phone. Uh, but it's also not as, like, cumbersome right. as a laptop. So I'm like, this is a good middle ground. I can use this to watch stuff. But um, And specifically, that becomes more convenient because now it, it's it's easier to just, like, have this thing off to the side and, like, pause and, and, and stop easily. Um, and I can, like go to the bedroom and watch it or whatever. It's just, it's more convenient for the, the modern parent, you know? Um, <laughs> and so th- there is a problem though, in that the switch, the switches streaming services, uh, offered are essentially Hulu and, uh, YouTube. Um, so you can purchase, <laughs> uh, and also I, I feel like people are already going to, if anybody, this will be the one time we get like audience engagement is to yell at me for watching movies on a switch. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's see, not like see, a Christopher N writes. <laughs> um, it, it's not like a super high quality screen or anything. It's I mean it's fine. It's so there's that. I don't know if it's 
I think it can, yeah, it does 1080p. Um, but it's not like a, I don't know, 4K thing or whatever, so it's not as nice right. maybe as it could be. I don't think it's got like the fancy Apple technology going on behind there um, for Retina or whatever. But anyway, um, so basically the options are to watch things on Hulu or to uh, purchase movies through YouTube, like rent movies through YouTube. Um, so I've been trying to avoid renting movies that I could be watching on like a TV with a real streaming service. Yeah. Uh, and that leaves me with basically with Hulu. Um, so I watched a couple of movies this way. Uh, one of which will probably be my recommendation next week. But for this week, uh, basically it was uh, at one point it was like, uh, getting late at night. I don't know when I just was like, I want to watch a movie and I want to watch a short movie. Just, just give me something. I'm going to watch this on my Nintendo switch. Um, and so I, I, I think I literally looked up good short movies, uh, and like got something from like variety or one of those of some listicle. Yeah. Um, and the movie recommended to me was an hour and 20 minutes. And I was like, check sounds good. Mm -hmm. Said it was on Hulu. It actually was kind of a lie cause it was through the Hulu subscription to Showtime. Um, which is great though. Cause mm -hmm. now I have that for, I think great Muppets take Manhattan. Assuming I can watch it like oh, nice. immediately after this podcast. Um, but uh, the movie that I did find that I ended up loving quite a bit is called Slow West. I don't know if either of you are, are oh. familiar with this. It is Michael Fassbender um, and Cody yeah, Smith. Yeah, I've heard of it. Uh, and, and basically almost kind of like a buddy uh, West Western movie with the two of them. Uh, it's directed by... I should look this up. I don't remember off the top of my head. It's not a guy who... like I think it's a debut feature, basically. Um, an 824 joint, maybe? John Ooh, nice. McLean. John McLean. Um, is this A24? Maybe it's not. I might be making that up. I think I am. I don't know. Who knows where it came from. But uh, I spent a while last year churning through some some westerns, some modern westerns. Um, really, as far as classic stuff goes, we've it's it's only been the Man with No Name trilogy, which we watched uh, infamously for the podcast at some point. Um, but I, I pounded through a bunch of stuff last year, like uh, true grit, the, the 2010 one, um, no country for old men, uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford, uh, other movies. I, I, I knocked out a few. Yeah. Butch and Sundance. Um, Bone Tomahawk count in that mix. Um, yeah. and none of them really scratched the itch for me, uh, in terms of what I, I think I was looking for. Uh, and this one did, and I don't, I was very surprised by it, and I was very happy with it, because basically, it almost skews towards, like, a black comedy type thing. Um, there's mm -hmm. moments that are definitely supposed to be funny and kind of dark, um, but there's also just a ton of creative moments, and it, it definitely gets you invested into the characters. Basically, the idea is that Cody Smith McPhee is from, I think it's supposed to be Ireland, and he's come into the American West because he's chasing down his, his lost lover, uh, who has also fled here. Um, and so the whole movie is unraveling the story of like why he's here and, um, what happened between him and this woman. And, uh, Michael Fassbender is a bounty hunter who picks him up, uh, or just kind of, I guess, a general a gunslinger who, who picks him up and he's like, Hey, pay me money and I'll protect you through the rest of like, to get you to where you need to go. Um, and the movie is just this continual unraveling of like their relationship and the relationship between, um, Cody Smith-McPhee and his his once potential lover um and then also 
each individual scene I felt really unraveled in a fascinating creative way that played off of it. it it's almost like Tarantino-esque uh, in, in ways. Um, some, there's some classic, I think, Tarantino-style shootouts uh, in this movie. Um, and uh, I was I was very impressed by it. It, it. I think the reason it really resonated with me is that a lot of Westerns are very modern Westerns specifically are very self-serious. <laughs> They're very like, yeah, yeah, we are, we are deconstructing the human condition <laughs> through this narrative. Yes. Um, American folklore. Yes. And I'm not, this is our heritage. Yes. And I'm not saying that can't be done or that can't be done well. Um, and I don't, I didn't really dislike any of the movies I mentioned. Um, but this one was nice because it's not so lighthearted that it's just like silly. Um, but it mm. wrote a very fine line of, of keeping you invested and being grounded and, and fun and interesting, um, while also allowing it to do some, some funny, sometimes almost schlocky stuff. That's, that's really great. Um, mm. and it's just kind of like a, a character narrative. It's, it's not, uh, forces of evil and good clashing in the, in the, um, small American homesteads. I don't know. Like it, I, I was very impressed by the tone of it, and it was a tone that I hadn't really seen from any of those other westerns. Uh, and so it's 100% got my recommendation, especially because it's such a such a short movie. Um, also, uh, awesome. th- I was watching, or I started it, and immediately uh, Rory McCann's name popped up uh, in the credits. He's right. just there for a little bit. That's the Hound from Game of Thrones. If, if you did not uh, do your homework and listen to all of our Game of Thrones podcasts, um, <laughs> so immediately I was vindicated. Uh, he just has a, a few scenes, he inc- including uh, getting to build a fence, which is very Red Dead Redemption of him. Oh, there you go. Um, but, uh, <laughs> it was good. It was a good time. Bro- bro- Brother Ray taught him um, And uh, Isn't Ben Mendelsohn Yes, he is. Sorry. I, I was just trying to think yeah. of if I was missing anyone from the cast. Uh, he pops up as kind of the sleazy uh, desperado gang leader, which is also quite fun. Nice. Um, oh, and the movie also, I think, does some some good stuff without like beating you over the head uh, with the kind of relationship between obviously the, the classic cowboys and Indians thing, how that's actually like super mm-hmm. offensive in a lot of ways, very problematic in the way yeah, that yeah. like they've been native Americans have been portrayed in media. Um, it doesn't, it's not like steering super far into that to try and like say anything big about it. Uh, but it does touch on that in ways that I thought were like, that's a nice way of uh, kind of setting this in, in maybe more in reality. Um, and, and giving it a bit of a more like sensitive flair, I guess. Yeah, um, that's awesome. So yeah, it was really good. And I don't know what John McLean is up to. I don't think he's made anything since then. This is a 2015 movie, so I don't know. I don't know what he's been doing. Um, yeah. But I sure hope he makes more movies because I, I really enjoyed it. Man, well, that's, I've heard really good things about that. I'm gonna need to give it give it the old the old college try there because I like all those mm-hmm. actors. Oh, man, that's awesome. Well, uh, as you mentioned, Tyler, next week we are going to the Big Apple. Yeah. The city that never sleeps. Oh, yeah. That's right. (laughs) We're going to to New York. And as a bunch of Philadelphia boys, I don't know how we're going to feel about it. But uh, the Muppets are going to take Manhattan next week. And I'm excited. I haven't seen that one in a long time. And it's got some stuff in it that I remember fondly. There you go. Gregory Hines, for instance. Sure. You can find us online at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter at HCTSequels. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, the internet. 
um, just by searching here come the sequels. You can find us on I probably said Twitter. I don't know. Search us. Just search, just put it out yeah. there. See what see what you 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 rustle up. You know. And if any of y'all have done your spot year end Spotify top fives or whatever, and we're on there, please tweet that <laughs> to us or email that to us. Please let us know. I would love that. That would be amazing. Also, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, listen, someone had to talk about Game of Thrones. <laughs> someone had to have oh, the last word on Game Correct. of Thrones. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, yeah, thank you guys for listening, and we'll be at you next week. I've been Britton. I've been Tyler. I've been Alex. I also just realized that uh, I forgot to mention, I watched Lord of the Flies, and you're having a good night. <laughs>